Uh, as many of you know, I enjoy a good book. Um, I've got an office full of books, more books than I'll read in my lifetime. But I do, I just, I love a good book. And um, it doesn't really matter what it's about. I enjoy reading about all different kinds of subjects. I've got books on theology and books on World War II and fiction books and just, just all sorts of books. Uh, I'm a book guy. Uh, but like many, I really enjoy a good book with pictures, right? Those are the best ones. I've got some pictures in them. I, I like illustrated books. Uh, I've got all kinds of, i got several copies of Pilgrim's Progress, Lord of the Rings, several different books, multiple copies of it. Why? Because some have pictures and others don't. And uh, the pictures are cool. But anyway, I, I like illustrations. Um, you know, I, I do have those days where I'm kind of the book purist, Specifically, when I'm reading a fiction book, you know, you, you don't want the story corrupted, if you will, by somebody else's thought of what something might look like. And so I have those days when I don't like the, the pictures in my books, but most days I do. Um, whether it's a, a good pictorial history of World War II, which I've got a two-volume one, it's, it's incredible, you, you have to see that. But uh, just books like that, or it's maybe illustrated kids' books, like Full Moon Rising is one of my, my favorite little kids' books, uh, such a great book. Um, or this one I found just a few years ago. It's called Acts, A Visual Guide by Kevin DeYoung and Chris Ranson. And so if you've ever wanted to go through the book of Acts, but it's so daunting, the text there, well, this one's all pictures. Uh, it is great. Um, and, and it actually really is helpful. It's, it's well done. Uh, so I just I love books with, with pictures and illustrations. Um, and you know, there's, there's just something about a good picture that helps us internalize a truth or a bit of information uh, that maybe we've just discovered or, or perhaps we're rediscovering it. Uh, well, this is exactly what Paul is doing here as he concludes his letter to Timothy, this second letter to Timothy. Paul's been using word pictures here as he wraps up the letter uh, to illustrate the current state of his life. Think back to the end of Michael's pass, uh, uh, the passage Michael preached last week. Uh, Paul describes his life with a couple of word pictures. So if you would, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's just take a look at how Paul concludes that letter. So we'll be reading this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. So if you would stand with me in the honor of God, the reading of his word, if you're able and willing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, this is the word of the Lord. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then starting here in verse 9, which is where we'll look today, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books. 
and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, you are so good to us. And so, Lord, as we read this morning about the end of Paul's life and the difficulties he faces, Lord, may we, uh, may we just understand that, that we too will face difficulties like him. And God, may we draw strength and encouragement in the fact that as he was faithful to the end, so too may we be faithful to the end. Why? Because you are faithful to the end. God, you are such a good God. You're faithful to keep your promises. And so, God, may we rest on that. Rest in you. That you are who you've revealed yourself to be. And and this morning, Father, as we study your word, may you open our hearts and minds to how you reveal yourself to us. God, may we not think of you as we want to, but may we think of you as you are. And may we find out how you are and who you are through your self-revelation in your word. So God, we pray for wisdom as we study this morning. God, may we be encouraged and strengthened and challenged. God, above all, may you be worshipped and praised and proclaimed. And may all the glory go to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So did you, did you see it there? Did you see those word pictures that Paul uses as we started into that passage and, and read some of what Michael preached on last week? He said... In verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, right? This is is a word picture to to, to help us understand what Paul's life is like. And and then he follows that up with a couple of more. He follows it up with, I have fought the good fight, right? I mean, I don't think we need to envision Paul literally out there knocking out people. Maybe he had to, I don't know. But but more of a, a picture of what he's doing. He's fighting the good fight, right? Or he's finish the race, we see there in verse 7 as well. So now this morning, when we look at verses 9 through 18 of chapter 4, don't miss the connection with that which precedes it. Because I think you'll see that the two are really closely linked together. Paul has not totally changed subjects here at the end of the letter, but Paul has stated that his life is an offering poured out. And now he's going to give us some specifics to what a drink offering poured out looks like. So what it looks like to fight the good fight. What it it looks like to finish the race. So in our text this morning, we're going to see two things. First, what faithfulness in the end looks like for Paul. And then secondly, how faithfulness in the end is achieved. So what it looks like and how it's achieved. 
Remember what Paul is writing. Uh, this, is, this is some of his final words to, to Timothy, his, his son in the faith. This is what he really wants Timothy to hear as, as his, his time on earth is waning. And so these are words of instruction and they're words of encouragement to Timothy. If Timothy comes, uh, could be encouraged by these words, then so too can we. And, and I say that because if you were paying attention when we read the passage, it wasn't all that encouraging a passage for most of it, right? I mean, we're talking about these difficulties that, that Paul is experiencing. So along with Timothy, we can see this in this passage, that life as an offering poured out is achieved through Christ's endless faithfulness. That's kind of a mouthful. I couldn't find an easier way to say that, so I'm going to say that again for you, and, and maybe you can, can, can break that down into something simpler. But life as an offering poured out is achieved through Christ's endless faithfulness. So first, let us explore the life poured out so that we might know what to expect. Then we're going to turn to how that faithfulness in the end is achieved. So what does a life poured out look like? Well, he tells us right here in chapter 4, starting in verse 9 and following. Before we jump into that, though, let's think about the word picture. A drink offering that has uh, just poured out. So a drink offering is an offering that was made to God by pouring the contents of a cup or a vessel out on the ground or on a stone. Uh, and so we see an example of this in Genesis 35:14, actually very early on when Jacob sets up a pillar and then pours out a drink offering on it. The best we can understand is that nothing was left in the cup or in the vessel. It was all poured out. And I think that was the point. And so it was all poured out to the very end. There was nothing left in the cup or vessel for the one making the offering. Thus, a life as an offering poured out is one that is completely spent for God. It's a life of fullness and faithfulness to God to the end. So with that in mind, let's look at Paul's life as he describes it here, starting in verse 9. First, we see that a life lived with faithfulness to the end could mean loneliness. Living a life poured out, living a life that's faithful to God in the end could look like loneliness, or it could mean loneliness for you. Look here in verses 9 through 12, and then we'll jump down to verse 16. But Paul lists a number of men here that are his co-laborers in ministry. Now, so just for convenience sake, uh, as we look at these, I've, I've put them into three groups, and so we'll, we'll kind of jump around in there, but there's three main groups here. So first is group number one, and group number one is made up of men who left Paul's company. Paul's lonely. These are men that left him. Who were they? Demas. Demas left him. We'll come back to Demas in a minute, but it's enough to know that Demas left him. Crescens. Crescens went to Galatia. Demas went to Thessalonica. Who's Crescens? We don't really know. I mean, that's about the only mention we have of him. But he, he was working with Paul, and he's gone to Galatia. Titus. Titus is gone. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Tychicus or Tychicus or however you want to say his name has been sent to Ephesus by Paul. The point being, these people are not there for Paul when he's feeling lonely, when he's feeling the need for companionship. It's not because they necessarily have done bad things, with the exception of perhaps one, 
Uh, but it's very much the fact that they're busy doing what God's called them to do. They're involved in the ministry God's called them into, and so they've gone. They're not there for Paul. The second group are men who stayed with Paul in his company. This one's an easy group because it's really just a man who stayed in Paul's company, right? The only person that stayed there with Paul, as best we know from Paul's own words here, is that it was Luke. Luke was there with Paul in Rome. Now, I'm not sure what to make of that when Paul is, is desiring more company and you're the company he has. And maybe that's, I don't know if that speaks poorly of Luke or, uh, or what, but I think the reality of it is, is there was more than one man could do, right? And so Luke is there, and he's there by himself as Paul's companion. Group number three are men whom Paul wants their company, right? So people that have left his company, people that are in his company, and then thirdly, people that Paul wants in his company, and those are Mark and Timothy. So Mark was somewhere, presumably along the way, because he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, when you come to me, get Mark and bring him with you, because he's useful for ministry, and so there's a loneliness there. There's a longing for, for more men to be there and, to, and not just to be involved in his life, to be involved in the ministry of what he does. And so Tim, uh, Paul is, is saying, these guys have gone. I don't have that companionship. Yeah, Luke's here, but he's working hard. And we'll kind of read, it, read that in there a little bit, but I think that's accurate. And, and, and so bring some brothers with you when you come, Timothy. Timothy, I need you to be here. Bring Mark. He's helpful. What a great commendation, by the way, uh, to, of Mark. But loneliness, he's lonely among faithful men. So Paul, loneliness that he experiences is, is really the want of fellow workers. There's many who are doing the Lord's work, right? But, but here Paul does not have anyone, save Luke, who is with him personally. There's something to be said for being in the presence of other believers, Paul longs for fellowship with like-minded individuals. May we, as those who have placed our faith in Jesus and follow after him, be in agreement with Paul. May we desire the presence of like-minded believers. May we long for that presence of others. May we not neglect meeting together May we have opportunity that Paul did not, and may we make the most of it. As a believer, do not live in a self-imposed loneliness by neglecting God's wonderful gift of the church. Surely, Paul is speaking of the, the physical presence of others in this passage, yet there's, there's also other kinds of loneliness that we can experience um, we, we can obviously experience that physical loneliness, but there's also the loneliness of belief. I mean, we need only think about church history for some examples of this. Uh, in the 4th century, a man named Athanasius stood virtually alone for the correct theological understanding of who Christ was. He was exiled five times in his life. He remained faithful to God's Word and stood firm against the Arian view of a Jesus similar to God, but subordinate to him, not truly God. And that would be an error. That's what the Arians taught, and that is what Athanasius stood against. And yet Athanasius stood virtually alone against the world for the correct understanding of who Christ is. Surely Athanasius understood a theological loneliness not unlike Paul's physical loneliness. 
Or think of Martin Luther, who stood before the Diet of Worms in the 16th century after having nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. Now, obviously, he was not necessarily alone in this, and yet he had to stand in front of the Diet by himself. Here, he stood seemingly alone for the biblical understanding of justification by faith alone. Paul's life is an illustration of a hard reality for Timothy. Life as an offering poured out could look like this. Have you thought about that? Lord, my life as a, as a sacrifice to you, what does it look like? It very well could look like this. Loneliness, physical loneliness, standing alone on the, the, the Scripture by yourself, theological or lo- the loneliness of, of right belief. You may not be popular. You may not be liked. You may be deserted. Life as an offering poured out is not easy, but it's good. That's what Paul's getting to eventually. But secondly, look at verse 13. Not only could a life of faithfulness to the end be lonely, but it could mean that you're left in want. Paul notes some basic material possessions he wants here in verse 13. What are they? Well, first off, a cloak. And then books. My kind of guy. Cloak, books, and the parchments. Well, being a faithful servant of our Lord did not guarantee Paul a life free from want, did it? He, he's very much in want. He, he did not get his best life now here. He, he did not live a life of ease. And by way of example, he shows Timothy that the same might be true for him And thus, the same might be true for us as well. A life poured out as an offering to the Lord may mean that you have want in your life. Now, not many of us, um, or how how should I say this, most of us have a coat, right? Maybe, Maybe some of us don't. Most of us have a coat. Most of us, or many of us, don't know what it's like to really want for a coat. Um, But some do. Is the one who owns a coat more righteous or more loved than the one who does not? Well, no, that's not the case. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said to us, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He does not guarantee him a cozy life with a warm coat. Yet he does not mean that God loves it does not mean that God loves him less. What it could mean is that he is called to live a life as an offering poured out. May we not be so short-sighted as to look to God only for creature comforts in this world. He has stored up for us in heaven an eternity in his presence without want. Yet now is not the time for ease. We are in the midst of a battle. We're good soldiers. We're not entangled with civilian affairs, as as Paul has said earlier in a letter uh, to Timothy. Uh, We are on a mission to proclaim the goodness and greatness of God to all who might listen. And this is what Paul's life is an example of. He's cold. He needs a coat. Timothy, would you bring me one? very practical, it's very real, 
and very possibly the same kind of life that we might live when we pour our lives out as an offering to God. So while you're at it, Timothy, bring the books and the parchments. What, what books? What parchments? Isn't it interesting that Timothy's stuff scattered all over the country or the world? Right? I mean, he doesn't have a, a place to call his own. It's not like, would you go by my house and grab my cloak and my books and my parchments? He's like, no, you've you got to go to Carpus's house in Troas. And when I was passing through there, that was the last place I had to leave my stuff, and I left it there. I don't think he was just forgetful. Uh, I think that was the place that he could leave his stuff because Carpus was kind of a, a host for him or something. And, and he's like, that's my stuff is there. Timothy, would you bring it? What's it consist of? A coat some books, and the parchments. Um, so we don't really know. When we talk about these books, what are these books? We, we don't really know. We can't be for certain. Uh, the word that's translated here for book can mean either a scroll or a codex, uh, which would be kind of leaves sewn together, kind of a, an early form of a, of a modern book. Uh, or the parchments is a translation that refers uh, to skins prepared for writing. And so uh, kind of like vellum or, or different things like that. So this is maybe something you would, you would write on. Now, most likely, most commentators would suggest, and I think rightly, that Paul's speaking of the Scripture. He, he might actually have a portion of the Scripture. Now, remember, this is, this is back in the day. We don't have a printing press. Not many people had any kind of copy of the Scriptures, Right? Not many people had that uh, because they were all handwritten on animal skin or papyrus. And so here's Paul saying, these are, my, these are my possessions that I long for, Timothy, a coat because it's cold, some books to study, and the parchments. And now many people have also noted that the, the books may actually just be notebooks um, for him to write in. So an early form of a notebook. So it may very well be that, Tim, that he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy... I just need some basic comforts here, a coat and God's word that I can study it. Ultimately, what the reference here is, is, is not really the point, right? We're not set up here to try to, to figure out exactly what uh, Paul is wanting, but rather we're just, uh, we're just led to, to understand that he's in want, he's in need. There's something that he, he desires and does not have, and so Timothy is going to, to bring that to him. So Paul's point is that he has want, he has, he's in want. He cannot stay warm, he cannot study, he cannot continue to write without these items. And this is not a new experience for Paul, right? Think about what he says in, to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 11, we're going to read 23 through 28 here, where it says this, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hand of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from other peoples, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You see a pattern. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, 
uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And Paul has experienced physical want in his past. Sleepless nights here, hunger, thirst, exposure to the elements. And he's experiencing it right now, right? He needs a coat. It is as if Paul takes the opportunity to ask for some very tangible, real needs to be met, and yet at the same time, he points out to Timothy that this is what a life as an offering poured out looks like. Brothers and sisters, hear me on this. If we are to live our lives for Christ, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following after him as we see in Luke 9, this might well be our experience too. Life as an offering poured out is not easy, but it's good. A third thing we see here is thirdly, living a life of faithfulness to the end could mean hurt and concern. We've already seen some of the hurt Paul endured from his second letter there as we just read uh, to the, the church at Corinth uh, of his his shipwrecks and his dangers and his beatings and his stoning. Uh, we've, we've seen all of those. But here in 2 Timothy, we see even more of those hurts. But these hurts are not so much physical as they are emotional. What are those? Well, first off, let's go back to Demas, who left and went to Thessalonica. Well, Demas is most likely the Demas of Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 24. He's a fellow laborer in the gospel ministry, a companion of Paul's who at one time seemed to share a common call. And yet, in the end, we're told that he deserts Paul or abandons him. He abandons him for his true love. And what is that true love? It's the present world. The loss of a seemingly like-minded fellow worker can be very devastating. But even this is not the first time one of Paul's fellow workers has abandoned him, is it? There was an earlier time in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 38 through 40, tell us this. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having, command, uh, commended, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Isn't this interesting? So Demas has deserted him because he loved the world. And I just can't help but think that that brings to his, his, his mind in the midst of hurt, I, I think I've been here before. Mark. But there's a big difference between Demas and Mark, right? I mean, as, as we look here, there, there's something different. For Demas loved the present world. And whatever the reason Mark left and, and left them to do ministry in Pamphylia, uh, Pamphylia, didn't go with them, whatever that reason is, he continued work for the Lord, giving evidence to the fact that his love was set properly on Christ. And so I just have to wonder if, if this fresh hurt this, this new abandonment didn't bring Mark to his mind. Uh, but in remembering Mark, there was not hurt, but joy. Uh, and I've experienced this, but wait. Uh, Mark's useful in ministry. 
Mark's a good man. He's my brother. Uh, But in remembrance of Mark, there's not this hurt but joy, for he is the one who continued to show himself faithful. He is useful to me for ministry. So Timothy, help me replace this useless one, Demas, with somebody who is useful. Bring Mark. He's, He's helpful to me. A second harm we see in this passage is that from Alexander in verse 14. We're told that Alexander the coppersmith did, great, uh, did me great harm. Well, what harm did he do? We don't really know. So, I mean, I guess it could be physical harm. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's something uh, more significant than that, actually. Um, we, we don't really even know exactly who this Alexander is. Uh, he could have been a coppersmith in Troas, uh, since he's talking to Timothy about going to Troas to pick some things up. Um, that may be a possibility. Uh, he, he may be in Ephesus. He may be somebody in Rome. Um, he might be the Alexander of 1 Timothy 1, verse 20, whose shipwrecked faith might have caused great harm to Paul. So that may be a likely position, a uh, likely person. If this is the case, Paul's handing over of him to Satan would have been a very difficult trial. But note that Paul's not mentioning Alexander's hurt simply to keep track of those who have wronged him or harmed him, Right? Rather, this leads him to another reality of living a life poured out, and that is concern for others. And so in the midst of his hurt, there's not only his hurt, but there's the hurt of others that he's concerned about. And so Paul writes to Timothy to warn him of Alexander. Alexander, Alexander's hurt has caused Paul to be concerned for his son in the faith. Stay away from Alexander, Timothy. He's not the kind of guy you need to be around. He opposes our message. That's what we need to know about Alexander the coppersmith. Whatever his harm was, this is, this is the fundamental issue, right? He opposes our message, Timothy. Stay away from him. Beware of him. Concern for the life of Timothy. Do you see it? Life as an offering poured out isn't easy. It could mean physical harm, not just for Paul, but maybe even for Timothy, and maybe even for you. It could mean mental and emotional harm, not just for Paul, but maybe for Timothy, maybe for you. It could mean desertion. Desertion for Paul, maybe desertion for Timothy, and maybe desertion for you. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, Paul says. As one commentator has said, Paul is saying that being faithful in gospel ministry doesn't mean that you're not going to be left alone, abandoned, deserted, or forsaken. You very well could be. Faithfulness to the end isn't easy. A life poured out may not lead to great acclaim for you. It may not lead to material prosperity. It may not lead to health. It may not lead to retirement. It may not lead to spending your latter days with your family. It very well could look like this abandonment, desertion, being forsaken by others, in want of clothes, food, drink, and our most basic needs, hurt from those who we counted among our closest friends, hurt from our own government, hurt from those who oppose the gospel. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, Madam, I'm not really hearing any encouragement here. Brother, uh, I appreciate the sermon, but where's the encouragement? I just hang on. Um, so how does Paul use his life as an illustration? 
How does he encourage Timothy? Or for that matter, how does he encourage us? Well, the encouragement comes in that this might very well describe aspects of our life. This might describe some of what you face in the future or what you presently face. And if that's the case, you can know that God is faithful, that our Lord is faithful to the end. And what he has promised to do, he will in fact do. So if, um, if or, or say more appropriately, when this illustrates portion of your life, you can know that you're not facing anything new. You're not facing it alone. This is how Paul lived a life as an offering poured out. He did so with a faithful Lord, fully in view. Now, our commentator goes on to say this. He says, Your master was left alone. All his disciples deserted him. And Paul, too, was left alone. No one was with him when he finally had the opportunity to give that defense and declare his faith. No one was with him. Paul can be a life poured out because he simply emulates his Lord who lived a life poured out. And you see, you do not face something that our Lord did not face. In fact, it is the faithfulness of our Lord that keeps Paul to the end. And it is the faithfulness of our Lord that will keep you to the end as well. So life is an offering poured out. It's not easy, but it's good. So that brings us to the second. First one was long, second one's shorter, but the second one's the more important. So what does a life look like that's poured out? Well, it, it, can, it can be kind of bleak in and of itself. How do we live as a life poured out as an offering, faithful to the end? How is that achieved? Well, it's achieved through Christ's endless faithfulness. And so let's look at verses 17 and 18. So faithfulness to the end, how do we achieve it? Well, it's achieved through Christ's endless faithfulness. In verses 17 and 18, notice what keeps Paul. So let's just, let's just read those real quick. But the Lord stood by me. Nobody stood by me at my first offense. But the Lord stood by me. And he strengthened me. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so that I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Faithful Lord. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. How can Paul live a faithful life to the end in the midst of difficulties like that? Because he serves a faithful to the end, Lord, who has promised to redeem and has promised to rescue and who will, in fact, redeem and who, in fact, will rescue. And so he can, in fact, live a faithful life poured out as an offering, keeping nothing back for himself. Paul points to what our Lord has done for him, and that leads him to confidently assert what our Lord will do for him in the coming future. So first, let's look at what our Lord has done. Just quickly, he stood by Paul when men would not. Paul was abandoned by his companions. Paul was alone as his friends ministered in other parts of the world. But he was not alone ultimately, for the Lord stood with him. He was not abandoned by his Lord. He was not forsaken. 
the Lord strengthened Paul in his weakness. In his hour of need, the Lord strengthened him to endure. The Lord enabled him to finish his mission. The faithfulness of the Lord enabled the faithfulness of Paul. And so he, the Lord being he, the, so the Lord even proclaimed his message through Paul. And that in, in, in and of itself is seeing God's faithfulness. And so, so why is that so? This is because the Lord began, uh, the, the Lord was being faithful because he had told Paul that he would preach in Rome earlier. And now he's been faithful to that. So if we look back at Acts 23 verse 11, we see that the following night the Lord stood by him, being Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And here Paul is, in need, in want, hurting, alone. But then he stood by, by the Lord, and he's strengthened by the Lord. And through him, the Lord proclaims the very message that he said in Acts 23 that he would do. That now you're going to testify in Rome, and here you are doing it. And how is he doing it? Well, the Lord's doing it through him. Proclaiming the good news to all the nations, all those who might hear. And so God has said Paul would testify in Rome, and now he's done that very thing. What else has he done? He, he's rescued Paul from the lion's mouth. Now, what does that mean? I don't know if, if Paul was being chased by a lion or not. Maybe so. Uh, but that's, that's generally just a, a, a strong metaphor for death. We talk about the, the lion's mouth. And so what God has done in the past gives Paul confidence in what God will do in the future. And in fact, we, we see uh, a similar reference here in Psalm 22 about the lion's mouth. There's an interesting connection here between Psalm 22 and this passage, but we, we just don't have time this morning. But uh, just know that this, this is very much that God has saved him from death. We saw that list there earlier on of all the things that he's endured and yet has remained alive because God is working through him. And so God has done these things in the past, and it gives Paul confidence in what God will do in the future. God's faithfulness gives Paul strength to endure his current situation. The Lord has stood by Paul. The Lord has strengthened Paul. The Lord has proclaimed his message through Paul. The Lord has rescued him from death. And in all of these things, the Lord has been faithful. Why should Paul doubt any of his promises? And so he goes on to say, this is what the Lord will do. The Lord will rescue Paul from every evil deed. Now, that's not to say that Paul's not going to ever face any struggles, right? I mean, we've, we've just seen a whole list of those. Uh, this does not mean that everything will work out uh, to our liking in this world. But it does mean that through Jesus, Paul has been delivered from evil and its ultimate consequence. Death, a spiritual death, separation from God's loving character for all eternity. This will never happen to Paul. Why? Because our Lord is faithful to the end. You guys know John 10.28, right? John 10.28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone ever snatch them out of my hands. John 10.28. How can he know that? Because our Lord said that. And he's faithful to the end. He has been every time. If you've read the Old Testament, God Almighty has been faithful every single time. 
So when it comes to looking to the future, Paul can say, I have been delivered from every evil thing. Why? Because God said it. What a great God. What a faithful God to the end. And so Paul can have this faith to the end, uh, keeping nothing back for himself, for in Christ he has everything. And so the Lord will bring Paul into the heavenly kingdom. Paul can count on the Lord's promise to deliver him into the kingdom. Why? Well, because our Lord is faithful to the end. John 14, 1 through 3, again, the words of our Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. So Paul can be faithful to the end, keeping nothing back for himself, for in Christ, he has everything. Paul's been faithful to the end. He's an offering poured out. Yet, God's, God's not done with the work. Notice how many men carry on the work. Crescens, Titus, Tychicus, Luke, Mark, Timothy, if we go to the next few verses here at the end of 2 Timothy, Prisca and Aquila, Erastus, Trophimus. Do you remember the quote from Charles Wesley that Michael used last week in his sermon? God buries his workmen but carries on his work. That's exactly what we see here. Paul has been faithful and will at a latter point be buried, yet God carries on his work through others because the Lord is faithful. And because he is faithful, Paul can live his life as an offering poured out, and so can Timothy, and so can you. If you're hearing this, uh, if you're here this morning, and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and for the hope of eternal glory, well, this is not true of you. You cannot be assured of rescue from evil or deliverance into God's heavenly kingdom apart from Jesus Christ. But there's good news for you. God calls all to repent and believe. And this morning, if you will repent of your sins, your rebellion against God, and believe in Christ and place your faith and trust in Him and His atoning work, you will be saved. And you will be rescued. And you will be delivered. Friends, hear me this morning. Life can be hard. The fighter can be pretty beat up at the end of the fight, even if he's won. The runner of a race can be exhausted at the end of the race. And there is nothing left in the cup of an offering poured out. Life as a Christian can be hard. We're not promised a life of ease. We're not promised a life without hurt. If your life is hard right now, you are not alone. Hear Paul's testimony to the faithfulness of Christ in the midst of great difficulties. Be encouraged that men and women of old have gone through similar circumstances. Be encouraged that Paul has as well. Be encouraged that you are not experiencing anything that our Lord himself did not experience. But most importantly, be encouraged that our Lord is faithful to the end. He has promised 
and He will do it, all which He's promised. If you have placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation this morning, you, like Paul, can be assured that He will rescue you and He will bring you into His heavenly kingdom. And that is the encouragement we see here. So may He be praised this morning. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, You are so very good to us. And God, we thank You for things like word pictures that help us understand and, and hide truths in our heart. And Lord, I thank You most especially for a life as an illustration of what it looks like to serve You. So that when I face difficulties and struggles and persecutions, that I know that I am not alone. That I know that You have not abandoned me. For You are faithful to the end. You have promised and You will do it. God, You're so good. Lord, I pray this morning that our lives would be a light to those around us. Those that do not know You, may they see You through the way we live. May they hear of You through the words we speak. May Your Gospel be proclaimed. And may You be given the glory that You are rightly due. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters this morning that they would be encouraged as they face difficulties knowing that You are faithful. Father, I pray for those that don't know You this morning that today would be the day of salvation, that they would place their faith in Christ alone and be saved for Your good and You will rescue and You will deliver. We love You, Father. All the glory to You forever and ever. Amen.